Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thanks for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take a second and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, and your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 50 the Dan Heron episode of this podcast. Why Dan Heron? Well, this season feels a lot like 2015 right now, and Dan Heron was a deadline pickup that year, and war number 50 helping the Cubs down the stretch. It's an off day today, but for an off day, there's an awful lot going on. In this episode, I talk about the Cubs' ongoing surge, all the waiver activity today, and the Cubs' announced roster expansion for September. We're going to get to see at least one really exciting young player. Want more? What more could you want than to watch a contending team as we head into September? Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. What a ride the last few weeks have been. I mean, it's amazing. All I wanted all season was for meaningful baseball into September. And here the Cubs are. It's August 31st. It's an off day. There's a ton of stuff going on we're going to get into. But the Cubs are currently sitting 71-62. and They're second place in the division, three games out. They are in the second wild card. Life is great. This is so much fun. The Cubs, you know, at 71 and 62, that's a season high, nine games over. And if you look back over the season, we've had the ups, we've had the downs. The Cubs hit rock bottom on June 8th. That was right after they were swept by the Angels. They were 10 games under 500. They were eight and a half games out of first place. And I think at that point, like, we were all hopeful. We talked about it on the on the show. Other podcasts have done the same. But it, things were not looking good. The Cubs had an awful month of May. Did not really get out in June off to a quick start. But from there, what a comeback. It's really been wild. And when you look back, you know, Jed had talked in the offseason about wanting to blow teams out. Um, they've done some of that. They went through a stretch a couple of weeks ago where they played Cincinnati and were put up 16 runs and 20 runs in consecutive games. But really the story of this season, I think, has been the pitching. And when you look back across the season, the Cubs have thrown 11 shutouts. They've only been shut out six times. And they've had a lot of comeback wins. They've had 32 comeback wins, and they've blown 26 leads. And so we'll get into this too. So there's a lot of opportunity that's happened all season. When you blow leads, when you blow games, you know, those are wins that the Cubs would like to have in their pocket right now. You know, you turn three, four of those games, maybe the Cubs are in first place right now as, as opposed to second. But it's all a learning curve. And we look back at the one-run games have really been, the, the one and two-run games have really been the big big thing. When we go back to April and May, the Cubs were 7-15 and 15 in games decided by one or two runs. They were 2-5 and five in one-run games in April, 2-6 and six in May. In two-run games, they were 1-2 you know, and two in April, 2-2 two and two in May, 0-3 oh in June. But as this bullpen settled, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, that started to change. You know, the Cubs went... 3-0 and in one-run games in June. They went 3-2 and in July. And now all of a sudden in August, 
they're winning a ton of close games. We've seen that against the Brewers. We've seen it. Unfortunately, we saw it a lot against Kansas City and Detroit and teams that we feel like the Cubs should be beating by more. The Cubs are winning. They're eight and three in one run games in August, five and two in two run games in August. And that's really helped turn the whole season around. And the Cubs have gone from a point where, you know, coming out of the all-star break, nobody knew where this team was going to go. They could have sold, they could have been buyers and it was really going to come down to what the Cubs did on the field. And over the course of their last 15 series, the Cubs have won 12 of them and tied one. And the tie was the split against the White Sox in that two-gamer. They've only lost two series in their last 15. Think about that. Like This is a team that, I don't know, even a few days before the deadline, there were people on Twitter and social media and a lot of fans calling for the Cubs to sell because wow, we could get a great price for Marcus Stroman or Cody Bellinger, and those are big assets to trade. I'm so glad they didn't. Even if the games played out the same way, which of course they wouldn't, how much fun would Christopher Morrell's walk-off have been? You know, taking his shirt off, getting undressed after the home run game, after that home run to beat the White Sox. What does that mean if the Cubs are sellers and they're, I don't know, they're not really in contention, they're not going for it? This series against the Brewers this this week was just fantastic. I mean, they lost the first game, but it was tense. And then the last two games, one nothing. Justin Steele, you know, has traffic all over the bases in the first three innings. In the second inning, he takes a 102-mile-an-hour exit velo, line drive off his quad or his knee, stays in the game, throws six scoreless. And then the bullpen was just nails. And then yesterday, you know, the Cubs got out. I mean, they gutted out a 3-2 win. They had the lead early, got two runs, you know, gave up a run on a Kyle Hendricks error. But Kyle kept them in the game. Six innings, no earned runs. And the bullpen came in and, you know, Mark Leiter didn't have his best day. The Adbert winds up hitting the guy with the bases loaded to tie the game at two. That's going to happen. I mean, we've talked about it before. I'll talk about it more in this episode, but the Cubs have a very, very tight circle of trust on that bullpen. They have gone to Michael Fulmer, Mark Leiter Jr., Julian Merriweather, and Adbert Azalei so many times. And those guys keep coming up big. Every once in a while, they're not going to have it. That's life. That's how it works. But Adbert stuck with it, got the last out. Cubs came up, Cody Bellinger with another big hit. I've lost count of how many big hits he's had this season. And the Cubs put a run up, and then Adbert just slams the door in the ninth, like he always does. This is just so much fun to watch. And the Cubs have gone from, it's been a part of this podcast off and on throughout the year, but I mean, a couple months ago, the Cubs had 5 to 10, got up to 12% playoff odds. Today, their Fangraph playoff odds are 77.4%. Their baseball reference playoff odds are 81.7. Coda, 76.9. They're playing like a playoff team. They're beating playoff teams. I mean, they've won the they've won series this year with the Texas Rangers, the Seattle Mariners, who are just red hot now pulling pulling themselves back up to the top of the AL West. They've won series against the Tampa, Tampa Bay Rays, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, Milwaukee, Atlanta, just San Francisco, on and on and on. 
And we're going to have to see if the, the Cubs are going to have to keep that up because over the next couple of weeks, the Cubs have a lot of games against the San Francisco Giants who are on their heels for the playoffs and Arizona who are also on their heels for the wild card race. More against Cincinnati who are right behind them for the division and the wild card. More against Milwaukee. They play Atlanta again. You know, they've got a lot of good teams now. They've kind of gotten through the soft part of their schedule. No, in between, they're going to have some, you know, certainly some what should be winnable series against Pittsburgh. They play Colorado twice. So there there are some hopefully good wins mixed in there. But uh, the Cubs are going to have to get, get it done against good teams. So how did the Cubs get to where they are? Let's back up first. So today was a really, really crazy day in the world of baseball. So in the olden in the olden days before the most recent uh collective bargaining agreement, there were two trade deadlines. You had a trade deadline just like we did this year, July 31st. Any player can be traded, no waivers necessary, none of that. Then during the month of August, you could make additional trades, but any player traded had to clear waivers first. And the way that process worked is a lot of times teams who might be interested in making deals would sort of just dump their whole roster on waivers and see how many guys they could get to clear. Um, If a player was claimed, the team that put them on waivers would have three choices. They could just let the team that claimed them have that player. So that would happen sometimes with big contracts. So if you had a bad contract you were hoping to get rid of, put the guy on waivers. If a team claims them, then you say, awesome. You get the rest of this contract, I'm out. Or you could pull that player back. So if you had a, you know, if you're putting your whole roster basically on waivers, if you get a guy who you want to get through, maybe you're interested in trading him, maybe not, but um, you don't want to lose that player or trade it, that player to that team, you can pull that pull that player back. So now they they did not clear waivers, but you've pulled them back onto your roster. Or you could work out a trade with the team that claimed them. And then once those players, all the players that cleared waivers, they could then be traded. That's how Justin Verlander was traded to the Astros in August of 20, was it 2018? No, 2017, 2017. Um, Well, that deadline doesn't exist anymore. So once we cross the July 31st threshold, there are no more trades. It was really interesting this week. There were a number of players put on waivers. Most notably, the Angels put several guys on waivers. And a couple of them that the the Cubs have been reported to have put a claim in on Matt Moore and Ronaldo Lopez, uh, two good arms in the Angels bullpen. Uh, Lucas Giolito, who they picked up from the White Sox, was also put on waivers along with Hunter Renfro and a couple of others. What the Angels were doing was putting guys on waivers because as it stands right now, assuming they lose Shohei Otani in free agency, they are above the luxury tax threshold. So by letting these guys go, those guys who are claimed, the teams claiming them pick up their new contracts or their current contracts. So that money comes off the Angels' books. And it looks like they were successful. All those guys got picked up, and the Angels will fall below the luxury tax threshold or the competitive balance tax. And what that means is the compensation pick they get for Shohei Otani will go from being a pick that would have come after the fourth round to a pick that will come after the second round. So by being under the CBT, they get a better draft pick when they lose Shohei Otani. And it's what's wild is some of the waiver rules have changed too. So my understanding of the waiver rules before the last like 24 hours had been that it's always by reverse record. And the most recent CBA 
did change under the old rules. An AL player um, would basically prioritize AL teams first. So you'd, you'd still go worst record to best record, but you would go all the AL teams from worst to best and then the NL teams from worst to best or for an NL player, the reverse. Now it's everybody. So the, the Cubs were 20th in the pecking order in terms of waiver priority this time around. But what also used to happen is if there were multiple players on waivers, just like I think any of us do in fantasy baseball or fantasy football leagues, if you go out and make multiple claims, if you get your top claim, you then go back to the bottom of the list. You might make it all the way back up and get a second claim. But you would drop down first. Baseball did not do that. They, they took that drop down away. So the Cleveland Guardians, who were currently five games out of first in the division and 12 games out of the AL wildcard, they claimed all three of the Angels pitchers. They just, in one swoop, picked up Lucas Giolito, Matt Moore, and Reynaldo Lopez. So I've seen some comments about the why weren't the Cubs active. The Cubs were active. They reportedly did put a, bids in, out on Moore and Lopez, but the picks just never got to them. The Cincinnati Reds picked up Hunter Renfro and Harrison Bader from the Yankees. So they added a couple outfielders right before the Cubs go play in Cincinnati. So the Cubs are left with, well, not left with. I mean, this, this is a good team. They're playing well together. They've got a good roster. And now it's September. So now it's uh, roster expansion time. And again, before the more recent CBA, you could call up a lot more guys in September. Now it's limited to two. So the roster goes from 26 with a maximum of 13 pitchers to 28 with a maximum of 14 pitchers. And the Cubs are certainly going to keep the pitchers at the max. So the Cubs announced today that for this weekend, um, they are going to add Shane Green. So they'll add him to the 40-man roster and call him up. He's going to start one of the games on Friday. Jordan Wicks, who had a spectacular debut last week, will start the other. And then they announced the call-up of... Alexander Canario. How exciting is that? And, and what a comeback story this guy is. So he was, he's was he been tearing it up through the Cubs system ever since they got him in that 2021 trade for Chris Bryant along with Caleb Killian. And he just had an amazing monster season last year. 36, 39 home runs. I don't have it in front of me. Across a couple levels of the minor leagues last year. Looked like he was maybe destined for some potentially open with the Cubs to start this this season. If not, certainly get some time this year. But then he was playing over the winter, and he had just a horrendous like freak fall. He fell going hard to first base, basically shredded his ankle and dislocated his, his shoulder when he went down. And that was a really – looked like it was going to be a really long recovery, and it was. like the, That happened, and it took a good probably five to six months before he was really doing baseball activities. He's only been back to playing in the system – for like a month, but he's had a massive, massive month of August at Iowa. So I'm really excited to see him come up. He's got power. He's hitting for average. He's got a pretty decent reputation as, as an out, as a defensive outfielder. He's not Pete Crow Armstrong in terms of outfield defense, but I'm excited to see him hit. And I think um, in the minors, he crushes lefties. So hopefully he'll be some big help for the Cubs as they, you know, kind of have struggled against lefties this year, but that's really interesting. So the Cubs have, one open 40-man roster spot. So I think last time I recorded, they had three open 40-man spots. Well, Jordan Wicks took one of those spots and looks like he's going to stay for, for sure. 
Well, he's going to stay anyway because he's a top prospect. You're not going to pull him off the 40-man and, and designate him for assignment. Um, so that left them with two. Shane Green comes up and takes one so that he can start tomorrow. And Shane Green's an interesting case, too. He hasn't started a game since 2016, but he's been pitching very regularly in Iowa, and they've had him... They signed the Cubs signed him to a minor league deal midseason. The Cubs have been pretty aggressive about making sure he gets his work at Iowa. He's been starting at Iowa, but for you know the first stretch of games, he was only going a couple innings. They got him up to three. But the day that Wicks got scratched before he came up to Iowa, Green started and threw five scoreless innings, and then he followed that up with a four run outing where he did give up a couple unearned runs. So in his last, you know, his last two starts, he's thrown nine innings with only, you know, 200 runs. And for his numbers at Iowa, he's thrown 20 innings with 24 strikeouts and he's posted a 2.21 ERA. So he's really thrown some good ball. And since 2016, he's been a reliever. He's been on some good teams. He's had some good seasons. It'll be interesting. So after this start, they may use him one more time. The Cubs have, we've talked about it here, you know, Justin Steele is already past his season high in, or past his career high in innings pitched. Um, getting to be by by a long ways. And that gutty, gutty, gutty start he had against the Brewers this week, he threw a career-high 111 pitches. So I think the Cubs are going to do their best. The Cubs now have a stretch of, I think it's 17 games in 16 days, or it's 18 games in 17 days, one of the two. So they don't have a day off for a while. So you know, if Shane Green throws reasonably well, they might use him to start twice. Um, Just trying to get maybe Justin Steele kind of that that little extra day uh, of rest to keep him fresh and hopefully keep him from, you know, having to go on the IL for anything. Hopefully he stops getting hit by line drives too. So that's one spot. Green does not have any options. So if he does not pitch well, or if the Cubs keep him and he goes into the bullpen and struggles, I would imagine at this point in the season, you know, they've invested in him some, but not a massive amount of money. And right now it's all about winning. Shane Green's not a huge part of the future. So if he doesn't pitch well or they have other needs, he would just get designated for assignment and released. So that could potentially open up another spot. Alexander Canario is already on the 40-man, so he doesn't need a spot. He just comes up. And there's one spot left. And there have been a couple hot names for fans wanting to see some of the young guys come up. Um, one interesting but not essential detail is that anybody added, anybody who's on the 40 man roster or the 60 day injured list as of tonight at midnight, so before September 1st, is eligible for playoff rosters. So anybody the Cubs, the easiest path for the Cubs to have a guy available to potentially use in the playoffs would be to have that player on the 40 man or the 60 day IL as of end of day today. It's not super essential. There are some other ways. There are plenty of loopholes. Plenty of guys have come up and and been added later due to injuries or whatever. But, you know, I'm looking at that last spot, and I'm really looking hard at Pete Crow Armstrong, who's the number one prospect in the Cubs system. Um, Some services have him in the top 10 overall across baseball. Some have him in the top 15. He's a really good prospect. He's done some amazing things since he came up to to Iowa a month and a half ago. Two months ago, I think. Um, lately, he's been slumping a little bit, so I think that may be why they're going Canario instead of PCA. They also want to make sure they're trying to balance right now the value of Pete continuing to get those at bats and get that regular playing time in Iowa, and 
I don't know if you guys saw the highlights on this week from the minor league minor league games, but you know, Pico Armstrong about knocked himself out going into a wall. So hopefully they get that trained out of him before he's smashing into bricks at, at Wrigley. Um, but I think the biggest value PCA would have on this team would be, you know, late game defense, pinch running. So I could see the Cubs trying to find a way, maybe get him on the 40 man later in the season, whether it's via replacing somebody who's injured or whatever else they can do. But right now they kind of have that covered. They've got five outfielders now with the addition of Canario. If they want speed off the bench, they've got Miles Mastroboni. So I think they're just trying to balance the need to have skill sets in Chicago to compete and win while also continuing to get PCA the development he needs. And I think there's every reason to expect that he's going to push really hard for a job coming out of spring training next year in Chicago. But the other one who is really interesting to me is Luke Little. So Luke is a huge lefty, a little bit ironic with his name, but he's like six seven, six eight, throws hard. Um, you know, lefties that throw pushing 100 miles an hour, you know, are not easy to come by. And he's just been tearing it up at Iowa. So he's a guy that could be in a bullpen with only Anthony Kay as a lefty and a bullpen that, you know, is hugely overworked. He could be really valuable down the stretch. It'll be interesting to see. My guess is that that 40th spot on the roster is probably going to go later today to either PCA or Luke Little. A couple other contenders, um, you know, there's a little bit of noise, people talking about Cade Horton who after getting drafted last year has just been sensational in the Cubs system. He's up to double a, I would tend to see him as a long shot. He's already probably very close. If not at the innings threshold, they want him to be at, he's coming off some major arm surgery. So the Cubs aren't going to push him too hard. Um, Jim Bowden had reported that, you know, he might, he might be on the Cubs radar for September. I don't know that Bowden is always the most accurate source, but it has been out there. There's also Jonathan Perlaza. He's had a really good season in Iowa. I would probably put him below both PCA and Canario, but he does give you some different position versatility. And then after that, there are some other guys. Luis Vasquez has had a really big year for Iowa, kind of out of nowhere. He's always been a, a glove guy, but he's hitting really well this year. He's fast, got an excellent glove at shortstop. And which kind of gets back to, we've talked a lot this season. I've sort of become Miles Mastroboni guy somehow. But people question, like, why is Miles on the roster? Why is he up in a big big club right now? Unless somebody from the system, like Vasquez or somebody else, pushes him out, his biggest value right now is he is effectively the Cubs' third shortstop. Now, they don't need him at the moment because Dansby Swanson plays every day. If Dansby gets a day off or, you know, goes out a couple days with an injury, then Nico Horner slides over and then the Cubs have about seven guys who can play second base. But we saw when Dansby went down, like that was Miles' best stretch with the Cubs. When Dansby went down, Miles did have to fill in around a little bit. So, um, you know, Nico moves over to shortstop and Miles, I think, might have played one game at shortstop um, or maybe part of a game. But uh, then you're in a position where then if Dansby's out and Nico goes down, you want to have a guy who can actually play a competent shortstop, and that's one of the reasons why Miles is there. But we'll see. The uh, you know there are also some other interesting factors for the 40 man roster. Um, the Cubs did shut down Nick Birdie. He was looking like he was maybe making some progress, but he's now done for the year. We'll see if he becomes a factor for next year, or if uh, you know if he just was 
recipient of some bad luck with that appendicitis right after he made his debut with the Cubs earlier. Um, Brandon Hughes is throwing. He's in the complex. I don't think he's been assigned to the complex league as a formal uh, rehab stint yet, but there's some small chance he might make it back. Brad Boxberger started a rehab assignment on August 14th, so he's got 30 days to complete rehab. Um, He's getting good results in Iowa, but uh, his velo is reportedly down. Uh, we'll see if he makes it back. If he makes it back, he would come off the 60-man roster and then go on to the Cubs active roster and the 40-man roster. So the Cubs would have to, unless they left that 40th spot open, which I don't think they will, um, somebody would have to go. <clears throat> we can do, we can talk through some of the potential cuts at a later point, but I think you know the, the guys who kind of pop out to me are um, Jared Young, he really struggled when he came up with the Cubs. And the Cubs are in a position now where they're – I imagine they're – I think they're going to make a run at keeping Cody Bellinger. Maybe he plays first base next year. The Cubs have Jamer Candelario. They might bring him back. They've got Matt Mervis still in the system. And next year, Jared Young is going to be 29. He's kind of losing that prospect status. Um, I like him. He's a good player. He hustles. He's he's worked really hard to to get to where he is. Uh, but he may be a guy who's just kind of, you know, on the on the wrong side of the age and the wrong side of the cut line. There are a couple pitchers, you know, if, if Anthony K doesn't pitch well, you know, he's he's a guy that could get cut. Um, but again, the Cubs don't have many lefties, so he's got some intrinsic value there. But we'll see what they do. Um, it's also possible that Brad Boxberger doesn't make it back, and then that whole discussion is moot. And one of the reasons why it matters, why we're a lot of fans in. in writers are pushing hard for Luke Little is, is that bullpen. So the bullpen has gone from kind of a disaster in, in the early part of the season. You know, they signed Michael Fulmer. They signed um, Brad Boxberger. Both those guys really struggled early. I think Boxberger maybe got off to a slow start, but then I think he was hurt. Clearly he's missed now more than three months. So he definitely had some stuff going on. Fulmer was a guy... I've said it here. There, there was a point where in June I was starting to be like, eh, I, don't, I don't know, man. I don't know about this guy. But Fulmer's a guy with a long track record. He was a decent starting pitcher. He's been a good reliever for quite a few years at this point. But, you know, I, I would probably, if I was going to point to one guy in the bullpen that really turned, or two guys, I would point to Fulmer and I would point to Julian Merriweather. Um, when those two guys started to turn it on, all of a sudden this bullpen got nasty and things slotted into place early in the season. The Cubs were playing with, you know, Fulmer started as the closer and that did not go well. And then they kind of went back and forth between Mark Leiter jr. And Adbert Azale. Um, but if you look at Fulmer, you know, in, in April, he had a 657 ERA. Then he got worse in May In May he posted an 838. Um, all of a sudden though, in June, he just flipped the switch. He put up an 066 ERA in June, 238 ERA in July, his August ERA is up a little bit, but he had the one game in Detroit where he, I think it was like two thirds of an inning, gave up three or four runs. Um, Julian Merriweather has had his ups and downs, but again, like he was atrocious his first, I think two of his first three outings, maybe three of his first four. But then all of a sudden June came along and he, his numbers in June were 12 scoreless innings. And he's really just been, he's had a couple blow ups here and there um, because of bad days, overuse, whatever, but he's been nails. He just comes in and just, gasses guys up and gets them out. He's been so much fun to watch. And it's one of those things where when a team has a track record or a player has a track record, 
I've talked a lot this season about just wait, like things regress to the mean. And some of that is regressing to the mean. Some of that is just kind of getting to career norms, right? Like, um, or, or sort of trend back towards average. Like most of the time, good teams are reasonably good in one run games. Most of the time, guys with a track record are going to get somewhere near that track record. Sometimes there's a bad season because of injury, illness, other things going on, whatever. But more often than not, guys are going to get back to their norms. And that's what Fulmer's done. I thought all along that you know, outside of maybe like a week in in, uh, in May when things were going bad, um, that if the Cubs could have enough patience, if they could weather that storm and wait long enough, the Fulmer was going to come back. And he did. Although now, now he's on the injured list. And again, you know, with that such a tight circle of trust and with the Cubs playing so many close games, there's just so much burden on these guys. And I think we all have some concerns about how well these guys are going to hold up. And Michael Fulmer's down right now. And they just lost Jose Quas for, we'll see how long he's out. He's on the bereavement list. Um, the bereavement list allows a guy to be on it for five days. So that Keegan... Uh, I forget the corresponding move. It was either Wicks or Keegan Thompson. Um, if they still need more time, and I'm not, I don't know exactly what's going on with Quas. I've, I've seen some stuff on social media. I'm not really going to talk about it here, but if he needs more time to grieve or for bereavement, players can go on the restricted list after the five days. We'll see when he comes back. But the Cubs already with Fulmer and with Quas needed more. Quas was giving them. He wasn't quite all the way in the circle of trust. He wasn't going to get the major, major leverage spots, but he pitched some big innings and he was on the path to getting there. So hopefully when he comes back, he can do it. When Shane Green, after Shane Green makes his starts, he probably will either get DFA'd or uh, he might be a part of the bullpen and might be a useful piece. But the Cubs need more. The Cubs need to either get more out of Daniel Palencia, Michael Rucker, some of those guys out there. Hayden Wisniewski, Keegan Thompson. Keegan looked really good. He, you know, he threw two innings against Pittsburgh last week and, you know, threw two scoreless and struck out five. So that's a really good start. He's had his struggles. He, even his time down in Iowa was kind of up and down. You know, he went, he was really good his last four outings. Um, but, you know, that's four outings. So he's he's been up and down. Hopefully he can regain it. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think what the Cubs have done with his bullpen given that two of the major pieces they expected to be a part of this bullpen, you know, Brandon Hughes and Keegan Thompson have really not contributed much at all this season. I mean, Hughes has been hurt basically all year. He started the year trying to pitch through it and wound up having surgery on his knee. Um, for those of you that remember when, when he, it was first announced that he was going to have surgery, it was going to be season ending and take him probably into the 2024 season to get healthy. But when they really got into that knee and looked at it, the surgeon decided to opt for less invasive surgery. So he's got a much quicker timeline and that's where I don't know that he'll make it back this season. Like I said, he's, he's throwing and there's a small chance he might make it back, but more realistically, he'll at least should be able to have a reasonable off season and then hopefully come in, you know, spring training in 2024 and, and compete for a job in that pen. Um, other guys like, uh, Ethan Roberts, who had Tommy John surgery last year, he seems to be progressing well. I haven't heard a lot about him lately. Um, he's not going to make it back this year, but hopefully he can be a factor in 2024. He was looking good before he got hurt. 
So as we talk about playoff contention, I want to go back to something I talked about in episode 36. I talked about run differential. And the Cubs at the time, you know, this was much earlier in the season. The Cubs got off to a quick start, had, I think, one of the top four or five run differentials in baseball at the time, but were not playing to their record. And the Cubs are still not playing as well as their expected record, but they've played well enough lately that, again, they're, they're getting back closer to it. I think they're three or four games off what their expected uh, win count would be right now. And those three or four wins make a big difference. I mean, you look at being three games out in the division, you know, three more wins changes things pretty substantially. But if you look at run differential, I mean, at the end of April, they were plus 44, which was fourth in baseball. At the end of May, after that awful 10 and 18 May, they were down, down to plus six, 15th in baseball. June 23rd, they bounced back up. They were 13th at plus 23. Hot July, they got up to 6th at plus 57. And now they're still playing great baseball. The run differentials kind of suffered a little with all the close close games they're playing. But they're, they're plus 76. They're on pace for plus 93 run differential. And as I talked about in episode 36, I went back through the last 10 years, leaving 2020 out. So I went back to 2012 and looked at the last 10 years of run differentials and what what that meant in terms of playoff contention. And what I found was if, if a team was 100, was plus 100 in run differential, 63 of the 66 teams that met that criteria made the playoffs. So that's 95.5%. If you were plus if you were plus 90, but not quite 100, you made the playoffs 93% of the time. At plus 80, it was 91 and a quarter. So the Cubs are have all these things trending in the right direction. So hopefully they, they can keep that up. They've put themselves in this position. They've earned this place. I mean, this is so much fun. The last couple of years have been just the end of the season's a slog. I mean, even even last year doing the podcast, I'm kind of half following games and, and checking box scores later, looking at stats in the morning. Um, you know, but there, there wasn't much to listen for. There wasn't much to do. And... Now it's it's totally different. Like, I want to watch every game. I don't necessarily get to see every game, but I get to watch most. I, I can watch the games later on uh, MLB at bat if I have stuff going on, but it's just so much fun. I, 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 I see all the talk. You know, some people, everybody has their own way of following. You know, you've got your superstitions, or if it gets too tense, you got to leave the room or you turn it off and, and come back later. Um, that drama, that hang on every pitch, the oh my God, the Brewers have two guys on base. The Cubs are up one. Christian Yelich is coming to the plate. Like those moments make you clench up a little bit, but that's the fun stuff. I love that. It's so much fun watching all this meaningful baseball at this point. And the the Cubs may not make the playoffs. They are, we've talked about um, opportunities and opportunities lost. And they've, that bad May, those early close games they lost in the season, even some of the recent losses, even even during this good stretch, you know, they had a game they should have won against the White Sox. You know, they dropped a game to Detroit. They dropped a game to Kansas City. The reality is you're not going to sweep all of these series. You're not going to beat even bad teams. You're not going to beat them every single time. Um, but every one of those matters. I mean, it looks like the Cubs are going to be in a race to the end. The division may wind up being decided by, you know, just a game or two. The wild card right now, the Cubs sit in the second wild card spot, but that could ebb and flow. They're going to play some good teams. You know, if the Cubs lose the series to the Giants, the Giants are going to pick up a game on them. If they lose, the Cubs have six against Arizona. If the Cubs lose both of those series, Arizona's going to pick up two. They play the Reds for four this weekend. 
So opportunity is there for other teams to come and pick this up. And the Cubs still may wind up looking back at some of the early season mischances as the difference maker. But whether they make it or not, um, I will take it. I mean, I I won't say that I don't care about how the season ends because I do absolutely care about how the season ends. I'm just thrilled that the Cubs went for it. Not in a big way, but th- this isn't a go for it in a big way roster. This isn't a trade one of your shining stars out of the farm system for a closer type seasons. Um, but they made improvements at the deadline. They have made improvements throughout the season, improving the roster bit by bit by bit. Sometimes, you know, should have happened a little bit more more quickly, but here we are and they're competing and it's so much fun. Those those moments, you know, Bellinger hitting that shot off the pitcher's leg last night to drive in the run as he's busting it down to first base. Like it felt in that instant like that moment lasted forever and it's it's just so good. So what's next? I mean, we all get to watch more meaningful baseball. We get to watch the Cubs play good teams in games that matter for both teams. Wrigley Field has been electric and it's going to just amp from here. I mean, one of the cool stories is uh, they were talking to Nico Horner after the one nothing win. And with the pitchcom device, there are, I think, three players in the field in addition to the pitcher and catcher can wear the pitchcom device. And typically it's going to be your shortstop, second baseman, and center fielder. So they know what pitch is coming and, and all that. And Nico Horner, you know, has his normal volumes. He said he's, I think he usually has it at 12 out of 20. And, He's taken it up to 18 a couple times. And he said for the last pitch Adbert threw in that one nothing game to close it out that he had it maxed to 20 and really could only hear at the start of the voice when it was calling the pitch. He couldn't even really hear the pitch call. He just thought he, he heard the S, so he was pretty sure it was slider. I mean, the crowd is that loud. And it, the house wasn't even entirely full because now school's back in session and um, – you know, it was a great crowd yesterday in the afternoon. You know, school's in session, so kids are busy, and it's a work day. And they still had, you know, Wrigley was 77% full. I think I saw the 31,000 out of uh, 41 capacity. And it was just electric. It was so loud. And I just can't wait for more. I mean, we're my family's going to Chicago this weekend, so I'm going to be in Chicago this weekend. I wish there were more games going on, but we're going to stay and go see the Giants game on Monday on Labor Day before we head back and I'm really looking forward to that one I think uh, with Shane Green going as as long as they don't need to give him yet additional rest it looks like it would be Justin Steele probably on Monday so I'm really amped to see that but that's a game that matters just as much or more for the Giants as it does for the Cubs so there's going to be two teams playing hard trying to scratch out every last inch every last advantage and this team has gone from really frustrating early in the season to honestly, I'll probably remember this. We'll see how the season ends. Cause that's going to dictate how I really remember this team, but this team's a lot of fun. This is a really gritty, gutty baseball team. They do little things. They have to scratch and claw for that extra run. They often don't score as many as we think they should. The pitching is, has been largely very good this season. The starting rotation has struggled a little bit, but you look at like Kyle Hendricks, you know, he, Basically, his shoulder was ground beef last season and wound up getting healthy, coming back, missed a month this season. And he's now thrown 19 starts. He's got 10 quality starts. He's got another four where he's pitched between five and six innings. Didn't get all the way to six, but given up two or fewer runs. 
And I think I saw a chart the other day. He's like second or third in baseball in total number of starts where he's given up fewer than three runs. He's been not quite vintage Kyle Hendricks, but he's been really, really good. And I, I still see you know fans like, oh, it's Kyle Hendricks today. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. Well, I think we know how it's going to go. I mean, we're not going to win every game. And, and I mean, he's gotten blown up a couple times, most notably that game against the the Braves. But even that Braves game, you know, he had three perfect innings before all of a sudden in like 15 minutes, they scored seven runs in the fourth. But he's pitched really well. Uh, Jan Gomes is ridiculous. I tweeted earlier a couple weeks ago. I haven't revisited the numbers, but most guys – when we talk about clutch, and I've talked about that a little bit before, um, clutch is something that you can kind of measure. And some guys are perceived as clutch or not as clutch. And what I find more often than not is usually their clutch numbers are a subset of the overall numbers. And with enough of a sample size, a guy is going to do in clutch situations largely what he does in all the other situations. It's just going to, we've talked about in this episode, it's going to go to the mean, right? Jan Gomes for his career does exactly that. If you look at his career leverage numbers in fan graphs, so low, medium, and high leverage, I don't know the exact definitions, but it basically hinges on how much of that one plate appearance could swing win probability. So um, earlier in the game tend to be lower leverage because you've got you know so many more innings to potentially score. You get late in the game, guys on base, close game, you know, you can kind of have an idea of what kind of situations are high leverage versus low versus medium. And for his career, everything is right around 250. I mean, Young Gomes has been a 250 hitter for his career. And so his, you know, I forget which is which, but his splits at that point were like 248, 250, and 252. But if you look at this year, it's staggering. His Everything from his batting average to his on-base percentage, to his slug, WRC+. plus, You know, he's pretty mediocre in low-leverage situations. and hitting like 220, something like that. You get to, um, I'm pulling these numbers off memory and they're a week or so old. So, you know, if you go look at fan graphs, they're going to be a little bit different now, but they should follow the same trend because he just hasn't had that many play appearances since. But, you know, 220, 230, something like that in the um, low-leverage situations something like 306 batting average in medium leverage and then like 410 in high leverage. It's nuts. And if you think back, I mean, we can see it. Jan Gomes had a bunch of big hits this year. So it's not going to last. I mean, he's probably not going to do it again next year. Um, At some point your numbers are what they are because that's what you've done over the course of years. But um, this is quite a heater he's on. So hopefully the Cubs can ride it out. But heading into a doubleheader on Friday, four game series in Cincinnati. Hopefully, you know, Ian Happ always says don't leave Cincinnati without a homer. So hopefully he, he's been heating up a little bit recently. Hopefully going to uh, Cincinnati works well for him. I'm excited to see Canario. Cody Bellinger is not as hot as he was in July, but, you know, he wasn't never going to hit 400 for the rest of the season. But he just continues to put up good at-bats. You know, he drove in the only run the Cubs had on, on uh, Tuesday, drove in the winning run Wednesday. He just continues to do big things. And this lineup's getting deeper. Hopefully Canario will help with that. Um, we're going to get to see Jordan Wicks again. Jordan Wicks was fantastic in his debut. That I mean, welcome, Talk about welcome to the big leagues, kid. Come up, give up a home run, single, and a laser beam single. Um, and a walk to his first three hitters. And I was like, oh, I just hope he can make it out of the first. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, Hadvi comes out and probably an overrated pitching visit, but basically just told him get back to the basics and do your thing. And he struck out the side in the first, wound up retiring 15 straight with nine strikeouts. And Wicks looks exactly like I've heard him described by Greg Huss, Greg Zumak, all the people who cover the Cubs prospects. He's a guy, he doesn't have always the most electric stuff, but he has an elite changeup. And he will just grind. He'll make in-game adjustments when he has to. And I think hopefully that great start doesn't set up some unfair expectations. He's probably not going to be a staff ace type pitcher. Hopefully I'm wrong and it gets there. But you know he's been largely projected as a middle to back end starter, which is totally fine. Every team needs six of those guys. Um, but he looked really good, and hopefully he'll look good again this weekend. Um, we'll see what Shane Green has. And... I cannot wait to be in Wrigley Field on Monday. Hopefully when I record next week, the Cubs are still on the heater. Hopefully they win the Red Series, certainly do no worse than split. Hopefully they can beat the Giants again and uh, and appreciate this. I mean, I've been a Cub fan. I talked about it in the last episode, but I've been a Cub fan for like 40, 41, 42 years, something like that, since like 1982. And the Cubs have contended in my lifetime. Like this is like the fifth, 15th time. So most seasons have not been like this. So appreciate it for what it is. It may not end perfectly. They may not even end in the playoffs, but we're getting some really good baseball, some really exciting games. Hanging on that drama pitch to pitch is just so much fun. So keep tuning in, you know, keep following the Cubs and we'll see who, you know, it's uh, about five o'clock on Thursday. We'll see who the Cubs wind up putting in that last spot. Maybe they'll give us something to talk about next week. Thank you for listening today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating or a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share the episode with a friend. Just a few seconds gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus. And check out the Patreon page, cubspsplus.patreon.com to help support the show and keep it ad-free. As always, the music for this podcast is from Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!